everybody? How are you doing? You doing okay? Good. Um, man, I drove down from Newcastle this morning. It's so beautiful. I followed the sat-nav and it said, come off at Ripon. So I was like, felt like I did 100 miles across country, but it was so beautiful. The only people on the road were cyclists and like speed cars, you know, like Porsches and guys like going around corners. They all came in twos. It was like they were tracking each other. But yeah, it was really fun. For those who don't know me, as Dan said, I'm Andy. I'm from City Church in Newcastle. I work for the church. I'm from Merseyside originally, came to Newcastle, trained to be an RE teacher, did that for 10 years in a high school, joined City Church, met Roz, married Roz. She's a GP in Gateshead. We've got three kids, getting big now. Josie left home, our oldest left home this year. And yeah, we absolutely love life in Newcastle. We love church life. And what I thought we could do this morning is just spend some time looking at what God says in these verses from 1 Peter 2 about the church, about the people of God. And we'll get to that passage in a few minutes. But, you know, in my life, I've been lucky enough to belong to some really, really great churches. I wanted to tell you about a few of them. So I grew up in this Anglican church. In, this is Christchurch Orton. It's uh, on the edge of Liverpool. My dad was the vicar. Uh, that's the church where I grew up as a kid, like when I was the age of all these little kids in here. And that church laid such a great foundation in my life of understanding what Jesus has done and the reality of God's love. And as a bonus, when I was a kid, it, when it was my birthday, for my birthday party, my dad would take me and all my little schoolmates up the church tower. And you can't quite tell, but that church is on the top of a hill. I was the only kid in town who could offer that as a birthday party feature. <laughs> So, you know, happy days, that went down well. Then when I was 18, I started going to this church. This is Kingsway Christian Fellowship in Liverpool. Do you know, I really met God for the first time in that building in Crosby in Liverpool. The very first time I went there, somebody prayed for me to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's one of those weird things. In the moment, I felt nothing. But that night... I got such a hunger for God that I'd never had before in my life and that has never left me. And when I woke up the next morning, I just knew I was a different person. Do you know, the course of my whole life changed because of that prayer in that building when I was 18. Then when I went to university in Newcastle, I joined Killingworth Community Church. And to be honest, it, it was kind of hard to find pictures of these guys online. But Dave Glover in the top left was the lead pastor. And Norman is my friend. I was glad to see his picture on the website. The first Sunday I arrived in Newcastle, I knew nobody. And I just like emailed the church. Norman drove three miles to come and pick me up, took me to church. I joined that church. That was such an experience of family for me, real family, being part of that church at what for me was quite a challenging time in my life. I was quite lo lonely at uni. I was quite down for a lot of it. These guys were my family and they kept me going. Then when I was 26, I started going to City Church Newcastle. This isn't us today. This is a building where we used to meet in Biker, uh, in, in the east end of Newcastle. That building now is a photographic studio and an artist studio. So this is, that's the hall where we used to meet. Obviously, it didn't quite look like that, and there were plenty of people there. But Ian, who was the lead pastor back then, when I first went on Sunday evenings to this church, he was preaching from the Book of Romans on the grace of God. And that teaching Ian gave on God's overwhelming 
unconditional love and acceptance of me, that was absolute water to my soul. And I knew I was experiencing something of the goodness of God that I'd never known before. And I joined that church. I'm still part of that church today. Do you know, if you took any one of those churches out of my story, honestly, I can't imagine how I would still be here today. Each one of those churches was absolutely crucial at different stages in my life. But at the same time, it won't surprise you to know, each of those churches also had significant weaknesses. And so there were many disappointments, frustrations and struggles that went along with being part of each of those churches. And of course, that's still true of City Church today, which is still where I am. But it is so easy for us to base our perception of church on our own experience, isn't it? When it comes to church, it's so easy for past experience to limit current expectation. And then as well, we live in a society and a culture that wants to tell us that church is just this outdated institution on the margins of society and something that's basically dying out. And so... It's kind of shocking to pull back from your own experience and pull back from what our culture wants to tell you and go to the Bible and see just how emphatically it describes the centrality of the church to the purposes of God in the universe. Have a look at this. In Ephesians, in the New Testament, Paul says, God has placed all things under the feet of Jesus and appointed Jesus to be head of everything for the sake of the church. Because he says the church is Christ's body. And so the church contains all the fullness of God. He says that the church is the fullness by which God is going to flood the whole world with his goodness. Can you believe he has, has, has the audacity to say that about the church? And in case you think that might be some kind of first century typo, he spells it out again later when he says that God's plan all along was that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. And that weird word, manifold, is just a word that means beauty that is multicolored and many-sided, and many-layered. Paul says, God's eternal plan was that the full beauty of who he is would be revealed, how? Through the church. Through expressions of God's family where people of every race and color, every social background, every cultural background, every personality type are all joined together in joyful worship of the one true God. It's worth celebrating. Thank you, Andrew. So can you see, in Jesus' mind, the church isn't on the periphery of anything. The church stands front and center in his thinking. In Jesus' mind, the church stands front and center in the universe. The church is the thing that will be left standing on the final day. Jesus is utterly committed to building a breathtakingly beautiful church. And can I tell you this as well? Do you know the decline of the church in Western Europe isn't even close to half the story of what God is doing in the world right now. Do you know around the world, the church is growing faster now than at any other time in human history. In fact, let me put it like this. 
More people will become Christians today, the 21st of May, 2023, than on any other day in human history. How amazing is that? And tomorrow, that number will be even greater. At the moment, that's about 300,000 people a day connecting into God's family for the first time every day and becoming a part of the church. See, when we think about the church, we need to start thinking like Jesus. We need to see the church the way Jesus sees the church. We need to align our faith with what he has said. We need to raise our expectations for what Jesus is doing and not throw our notes on the floor. We need to raise our expectations for what Jesus is doing. We need to change our thinking so that we're, we're thinking like Jesus, not just about what he's doing around the world, but also in this local church as well. And we need to give ourselves to building the way that he is building. And so we're going to read together from 1 Peter 2 about the church. Can we read this out loud together? Shall we stand up to read this together? Because this passage, this is God speaking to you as a person. It's God speaking to you as a church. It's God speaking over us. And so it's appropriate, isn't it, to stand up when God is speaking. So let's read this out loud together. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you would not receive mercy, but now you have received mercy. Amazing. Thank you. So I've got a question for you this morning about church, which is simply this. On Sunday mornings, why do you go to church? And, you know, you must have some sort of answer to that question, because at the very least, you're here this morning. If you don't usually go to church, why did you come this morning? And if you do come here regularly on Sundays, why do you do that? Why don't you just turn to the person next to you and tell them, why do you come to church on Sundays? What's your answer to that question?
Wow. Amazing. Do you know what? There are so many ways you could answer that question, aren't there? There are so many possible answers to that. Maybe you go to church just because you want to see your friends. Maybe you go to church because you want to learn about God or you want to meet him in worship. Maybe you go just because your family go. Maybe you go because you're on the rotor and you got a text message from church suite <laughs> telling you that you had to go. And you were like, oh. Do you know, none of those things really answer the question, do they? Because if you go to church to serve, why do you serve like that? If you go to church to see your friends, why do you see them at church? Why do you go to church to learn about God or to worship God? Because theoretically, you could do all of those things on your own, couldn't you? You don't have to go to church to do those things, do you? And so why does church even exist then? What is the point of this gathering of a body of people in the church in one place like this? Why are we here this morning? And you know, we actually need an answer to that why question if we're going to be people who keep going with church and keep going with God's purposes through thick and thin. And the Bible says those two things are one and the same. You know, we've had lots of new people in our church over the last couple of years, and I know you guys are the same. But what do you do when the honeymoon period in a church wears off? What do you do when you don't feel the same kind of excitement when you go to church that you felt at the start? Or when your friends and family start putting you down for being so committed to church? Or when you're trying to make friends at church and it just isn't clicking and the whole thing just feels awkward and cringy and you just want to get away? See, why would you persevere through all of that? Why keep going? In any church, there are going to be seasons like that where things are difficult and frustrations come in and disappointments pile up. And you will only keep going if the why of why you're committed to church is bigger than all of that stuff. And what Peter gives us in this passage is a great big answer to that why question. He says this, he says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. See, why is God gathering a chosen people? Why are we called to be together in spite of the disappointments and frustrations sometimes? Peter says, it's so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. He says it's about the glory and the beauty and the excellence of Jesus Christ. And it's about making his glory known in your school, in your workplace, in your community, your family, your friendship group. That is the why of church. Do you know, church is not primarily about you and your spiritual experiences and your encounters with God, vital though all those things are. The why of church, Peter says, is about the excellence of Jesus being proclaimed to our world. That's why the church exists. That's what the church is for. That's what he says. And so that means for you guys, it means for the Oak Church, the calling that's on you is to speak out the beauty of Jesus to the world. 
That's why you're here, to broadcast that out to the world. You know, the BBC and ITV and Sky, what do they do? They broadcast the football and the news and whatever else. But the church, we broadcast the beauty and the excellence of Jesus Christ. And when Peter says this again a bit later on in his letter, he makes it super practical. He says, if anyone serves, they should do that with the strength that God provides. Again, so that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. He says, this is what serving in the church is all about as well. What? The glory of Jesus being seen in the world. The excellencies of Jesus being proclaimed out to the world. And so if you're serving at church and someone says, hey, what are you doing at church this week? You can say this. You can say, I am proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ. If you serve here in Treehouse or on the youth team or through the week at Alpha, as we've been hearing, or in the Connect Cafe, and someone asks you why you do that, you can say, hey, I am proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ. That's what I'm doing. I love that story about Christopher Wren being out on a site visit while St. Paul's Cathedral was being built in the 17th century, which, of course, he designed. And he came across a guy on site who was mixing cement, and he asked him what he was doing. And this guy, who was only mixing cement, said to him, what am I doing? Like, what am I doing, sir? I am building this great cathedral. And it's so easy to forget that the purpose of church is to proclaim the beauty of Jesus to the world. It's so easy to get bogged down in the busyness of church life that you forget why you're doing it. You know, has that ever happened to you? Do you know what happens to me pretty much every week? I have to sort this out in my own heart. Or you get it all jumbled up with thoughts about me and my calling, my personal fulfillment. When I first started preaching, I found that I, I loved doing all the reading and the prep and the learning, and I loved the writing as well, being able to try and express myself like that. And I started to forget the reason for preaching is it's all about Jesus. It's not about me and my calling or my personal fulfillment. All of our gifts have been given to us so that we can point people to Jesus so that his beauty can be seen more fully. And again, our, our culture doesn't really help us with this, does it? Because our culture says, if you want to find life and fulfillment, then the way to do that is to look inside yourself. Find out who you are, and then you've got to find a way of broadcasting that out to the world. That's the way to real fulfillment in life. People knowing who you are, and encouraging you in who you are. And if they give you encouragement like that about who you are, then you'll have a fulfilled life. That's what we're told. Do you know, the sociologists call that expressive individualism. We don't really hear that phrase because this isn't even something we bother to talk about anymore. This is just like the cultural waters that we're swimming in. This is just how it is. And so we feel like, hey, if I'm going to be fulfilled in life, then I've got to find a way to broadcast the real me out to the world. I've got to give myself to that. And so we do that through the way we look and what we wear and through social media and we step towards jobs and opportunities and people that we think are going to make us look good and help us to broadcast ourselves out to the world. But if you're always taken up with yourself like that, if you're always thinking about who you are, 
then the focus of your life is just going to be on a broken and imperfect person. And so you'll always be struggling and feeling down and feeling fearful as you step out into the world because you know just how fragile you really are on the inside. I did so much of this when I was young. Just asking those questions, is anyone going to see the good in me? What do I have to offer? Is there anything special about me? When is my life really going to take off? Do you know, that just basically led to me feeling depressed. Because when you spend all your time thinking about yourself like that, what you see is all of the darkness, all of the brokenness, all of the imperfections that are there in your own heart. And there's nothing that makes you more miserable than that kind of self-absorption, is there? Like just being taken up with those questions about how am I feeling, how am I doing, how are people treating me, am I getting recognition, am I being honoured appropriately, am I succeeding? It just makes you miserable and it also makes it really hard to commit to church because if that's what you're taken up with, you're always going to be feeling hurt or upset by something somebody said. You're going to find committing to church really difficult because church is family. There's always going to be people around you who are rubbing you up the wrong way. But Jesus said following him means taking up your cross daily. So instead of being taken up with yourself, Jesus said it means dying to yourself. The way to fulfillment in life isn't constantly thinking about how do I broadcast the excellencies of who I am? The way to fulfillment in life is getting taken up by thinking about how do I broadcast the excellencies of who Jesus is? How do I get that out to the world? And it's as we place our heart's attention on the beauty of Jesus and on the excellency of who he is, that's the thing that enables us to die to ourselves. And so that, yes, maybe some of what I've got to offer isn't being recognized at the moment because I I don't mind. Because actually what matters is Jesus being proclaimed and broadcast. Do you know one of the highlights of my life at the moment is just being in church on Sunday mornings, worshipping Jesus with my church family. I just love it when we worship. Every time we do that, it's like we have this experience where in a sense we're all pushed to the periphery, we're all pushed out to the margins and we look together on the person who is at the center of the universe and we see him afresh together and we lift him up afresh together. And I I love that feeling of relief that comes of all my self-obsession and my self-absorption falling away and just getting taken up again with worshiping Jesus. Jesus is at the center of all things. And Peter says, the church exists to proclaim him. The pastor Daniel McLeod says this. He says, this is actually what our whole world is all about. He says, when you go out and you look at the trees and the beautiful sky, or on a day like today, you go out into the countryside and you look all around you and you see some of the glorious sights. God made all of this, he says, to declare and proclaim his excellencies. God, who is infinitely perfect and beautiful, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who for all eternity had this volcanic, erupting, overflowing, ever-increasing joy in one another. As they rejoiced in one another like that, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they decided to proclaim their excellence further and beyond themselves so that other people might also have the joy of that. 
And so God creates the heavens and the earth. And Psalm 19 says it's to declare his glory. The heavens declare the glories of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. So that everywhere we look we're seeing the eternal nature and the divine power of God as though we're living in some kind of 3D art installation that's been created by God. He says, the world is not here merely through the chance operation of physics. The world has been designed by an artist whose name is God and who wanted us to see him in this living, breathing, 3D art installation made up of tectonic plates and the Himalayas and panda bears and the depths of the oceans and plankton and blue whales and ants and you and me so that through life we might behold the excellencies of God everywhere we go. And every time we see another tree or sunset or the depths or minutiae of life or discover more in science, that our hearts would just go up and we would say, Jesus, you are amazing. You are excellent in your worth and in your majesty and in your power. Wow, what a description of the world. And yet we know, don't we, that What's happened is we've turned away from looking at God in all of his glory like that. And the Bible says instead, we've turned in on ourselves. It's like we're curved in on ourselves and taken up with ourselves so that we've stopped looking at Jesus and his greatness. And instead, we've been taken up with our greatness and our fulfillment in life. And when we do that, the Bible says, our hearts and minds become darkened. So we actually lose the ability to see the glory of God in the world. So that even though the glory of God is right there in front of you, you can't see it. And this, Peter says, is why Jesus is building a beautiful church. Peter says the church exists to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Because as the Bible says elsewhere, we were those people who were walking in darkness. But the same God who said, let light shine in the darkness in the beginning has now shone his light into our hearts so that we can know his glory as revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. And as a result, now what we preach is not ourselves. What we broadcast now is not ourselves. What we broadcast is Jesus and ourselves as servants for his sake. Do you know, this is what it means to be a Christian. It doesn't mean finally getting your act together and tidying yourself up. Becoming a Christian means seeing that Jesus is excellent. Jesus is beautiful. Jesus is glorious. And letting the beauty of who he is so change your heart that you become a servant of others for his sake. That's what it means to be a Christian. See, that's what happened to me when I became a Christian. I grew up in church, as I said. Do you know, in my late teenage years, I felt as though all that really mattered in life was just me trying to carve out an identity for myself and trying to prove myself. I felt as though that was what you had to do. You had to go out into the world and, and try and prove yourself. And so I tried to do that through playing sport. I played a lot of football but I broke nine bones in nine years in my teenage years and like my sporting dreams didn't get out of the starting gate. And then in the sixth form, I tried to do that through politics, 
When there was a general election, I stood for one of the main political parties in the school election and had to make speeches to the school and all of that. And before we began our kind of two-week school campaign, they took polls in the school that showed my party was way ahead of everybody else. This is before I started my, you know, <laughs> outstanding campaign. But the person standing for the opposition party was the most attractive girl in our year. And when it came to the final vote, she swept the male vote. And for some reason that I have never been able to understand, I didn't have the same effect on the female vote. And in the final vote, I slumped from first place at the start of my campaign to fourth place in the school election. Can you believe that? But I was reaching around. I was asking, you know, how can I prove myself to the world? How can I show my worth? Until that Sunday night, I told you about when I was 18 and I met God in a church in Liverpool and I got that hunger for Jesus that has never left me and I started out on this ever-growing journey of finding joy in him and trying to find ways instead to broadcast Jesus to the world. See, when we gather as church on Sundays just like this, what we're doing is syncing ourselves up again with the purposes of God in the world because we gather to proclaim the excellency of Jesus together. And then each week we go out into the city to do the same. I was just, I was thinking about it in the worship. You know, it's almost like we get caught up in the breath of God and, and on Sundays and other points in the week, it's as though God's breathing in and he draws us all in together. We come together caught up by the breath of God and then he breathes out again and he blows us out across the city and then he breathes in and he breathes out. We gather and we go, we gather and we go. That is the rhythm of church life. That is the why of church. That's the why of the Oak Church to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus to West Leeds and beyond. And we know the need for that is great, don't we? Most people don't know Jesus. The Bible says it's like there's a thick darkness over our land. And so God has placed churches like beacons of light in the darkness. When Jesus says, you're the light of the world, that's you plural. When Jesus says that, he's saying the Oak Church, you guys together are the light of the world. Let your light shine so that others may see your good works and they may give glory to God the Father as well. Do you see, it's as we let our light shine together, that is how others are going to get caught up in to declaring the, the glory and the goodness of Jesus. Every church is called to be like a blazing beacon that sets up this safe point in the darkness that people can come home to, come out of the darkness, so that those walking in darkness might come in to God's marvellous light, Peter says. That's why you're here. You're a beacon of light in the darkness for people to come home to. And I know that's happening here at the Oak. People are finding Jesus through you guys. I've heard some of those stories. People who found hope as they found Jesus here. See, how does that happen? It's as we commit to one another. It's as we commit to being church together. It's as we serve and we give ourselves together to seeing the excellency of Jesus proclaimed. That is how hope is going to arise across this city and across our nation. Do you believe that? Do you? Do you know, I believe that. I really believe that. 
And so we're going to take some time to pray together and just come before Jesus um, as Graham comes back up <laughs> to pray for the church and to pray for all of you guys. We're going to do that. Just ask to ask God again to resource you in all that you're doing so that you together can proclaim the excellencies of Jesus. And, you know, I don't know if God's stirring your heart this morning in a fresh way for his mission on the earth or whether God's stirring your heart this morning in a fresh way for his church. Or maybe you just feel as though you need some fresh strength and you need freshly resourcing for the challenge of all of that. Or you need some fresh inspiration. You need a fresh touch from God. You need to sense him coming near to you in a fresh way. But if that's you, why don't you just stand up with me? I'm going to pray and ask God to come and rest on us. Thank you, Lord. God, what a privilege it is to be able to gather together as the people of God, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people who belong to you. Lord, what a privilege it is, God. We can just sit or stand before you. Lord, we can just present ourselves to you afresh this morning. We can just say, Lord, here I am. You see me, Lord. And together we can say, here we are, Lord. This church, Lord, belongs to you. We can say that. We can put ourselves and put this church in your hands again. And Lord, we want to thank you for your beautiful plan to gather a people f for yourself so that through them, your light might shine on the earth and the beauty of Jesus might be seen. Many, many, many people might find their way out of darkness and into your marvelous light. And so, Lord, we want to pray this morning, Lord, we want to pray for this church. I want to pray for my own church as well, Lord, that you would make us effective in proclaiming Jesus where we are. Oh, Lord, just fill us with your spirit, please, Lord. Make us into beacons of light and love in the world. Lord, we just pray for the Oak Church. Lord, for this community of people who are going out every week and touching the lives of hundreds and hundreds of people. Lord, make this church into a beacon of your light and your love in the world. And Jesus, we pray that you would refresh us by the Holy Spirit. You'd give us strength, Lord, to persevere when things are tough. That you would resource us, God, with all of the courage and the creativity and the energy that we need to reflect the beauty of Jesus where we are. Please, Lord. Let us flourish, Lord, please. Let the beauty of Jesus shine out from each of our lives, Lord, and shine out from our churches, God, please. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.